0: Now, you might have heard in Toby Kerr's news package there, we have issues in Metro Vancouver. Lifeguard shortages are putting people at risk on a long weekend where beaches, they don't get busier than the BC day long weekend. Sun, warmth, pride, fireworks, it's been the whole shebang. And right now, Kits Pool is canceling reservations, which, by the way, were sold out the second it was announced that it was reopened. Sold out. My whole life, I've been swimming daily at Kits Pool. I've swam there twice in two years because I can't get a reservation. I'm sure you're feeling that similar pain. I miss being able to access that affordable place to stay healthy. Uh, Due to that lifeguard shortage, the Aquatic Centre, the Vancouver Aquatic Centre is closed today. Um, There are no lifeguards at Sunset Beach. The only beach really that's got the lifeguard downtown is English Bay Beach. So I'd imagine that's going to be a busy spot. I feel for our lifeguards that are out there working their hardest. Of course, you're maybe sitting in a park where the grass isn't mowed or you're trying to get in and out of Stanley Park, but you can't because you're stuck behind the horse-drawn carriage. You're perhaps at home just... Clearing out the weeds from your yard and putting them in your green bin that hasn't been picked up yet. These are basic services. And Metro Vancouver, no, the city of Vancouver, not Metro Vancouver, city of Vancouver is failing on this. There are some struggles elsewhere for sure. But I reached out to a good friend who happens to be a mayor, uh, Mayor Brad West. I reached out to him by text this weekend. I forgot to even say happy long weekend. I just launched right into, are you having these issues, the lifeguards, the picking up of waste, the green bin? Am am I offside, calling these excuses? Well, Brad replied after I did say Happy BC Day long weekend. I said, "Would you come on radio with me and talk about this?" He said, "Of course I will. I'd like to welcome to the show the mayor of Port Coquitlam, Brad West. Thank you for doing this."
1: Thanks for having me, Jody. Happy BC Day.
0: Happy BC Day to you and your beautiful family. I love following you on social media. I look happy and relaxed and yet hardworking at the same time, getting stuff done in Poco. Now, we're going to start here because I put it out on social media yesterday when I confirmed with you that you would come on. And people are like, how is it that Porco Quitlam seems to be functioning so well without raising taxes? That's a big piece of the puzzle here. But I also want to start with what I think is one of the most important questions on this BC day. Are there lifeguard issues in Port Coquitlam? Are you closing pools and beaches?
1: No, we're not. In fact, we were able to extend the hours of our pools because we realized that people are looking to stay cool. And as you said, this is one of the busiest weekends uh, that we have all summer. And you know what, Jody, it doesn't sneak up on us either. It comes the same time every year. We know it's always busy, and so you can plan ahead. And that's what we've done. So I'm really pleased that we're able to offer those amenities to our residents. Uh, this is what they send their tax dollars to City Hall for, and we have an obligation and a responsibility to deliver for them.
0: And not jacking the taxes, right? Like you're actually delivering these services based on, like throughout the pandemic, when when those of us who live in the city of Vancouver were told we're going to go bankrupt. This is a problem. You know, meanwhile, in Port Coquitlam, it's not, you know, not lost on us. So you're like, how about this community center that we've opened? How about how about this housing project that has now been built?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have a very focused and disciplined approach to managing taxpayer dollars. And it starts with respecting our taxpayers, understanding what that money gets sent to city hall for and allocating it accordingly, and so in the past number of years, our tax increases have been very minimal. In fact, one year we had no tax increase at all. Uh, so we're usually around two percent or under. Uh, those are, you know, just sort of hard costs that the city can't uh, can't wish away. But what we do do is focus on our core services and i think that that is a real key to keeping the the tax rate reasonable holding the line on on taxes because you know you you just talk to people you know how everyone is struggling look at inflation look at the cost of everything going up you can't get blood from a stone and i think cities have a responsibility to first and foremost uh, get their house in order be looking internally what can we do to make sure that we are keeping the tax increase to the absolute um, you know, smallest amount possible? And so uh, that's been our approach. I think it served us really well. We now have the third lowest property taxes out of the 21 municipalities in Metro Vancouver, and we've done it without sacrificing services. I mean, I think that's one of the myths you hear. People say, oh, well, yeah, then what are you going to cut? Well, no, we haven't cut. We found efficiencies. Uh, We have prioritized our spending. Uh, We make sure that those dollars are going to the core services that people rely upon. And uh, I think the results have spoken for themselves in Port Coquitlam.
0: Mayor of Port Coquitlam, in fact, Brad West with us. We are going to be opening the phone lines for your calls on the other side of uh, a break. But before we go to break... Um, I just love the fact that you've made yourself available on a holiday Monday, not lost on me, and that you're willing to take calls from our listener, which I think is so important. As you said, talking to people, what a concept. You're actually talking to and with people, not at people, which is very refreshing. Before we do take a break, though, I I must ask because people are going to be, hey, some of the service interruptions are because of staffing issues. So so Mayor West, are you having issues with waste collection, recycling, et cetera? Because uh, we seem to have hiccup after hiccup after hiccup in the city of Vancouver. And and they're pointing to we we just can't find the people to to staff the trucks and, and do the waste collection. Well, I'm,
1: again, really pleased to say that we've uh, not missed a beat on our pickup of our garbage green waste recycling. In fact, we've been able to expand our uh, green waste green bin pickup. Uh, uh, that service was enhanced about a year ago, uh, and the frequency of pickup has uh, has increased. But I would say also the other thing we've done is we recognize very early on that we're seeing a uh, Huge increase in the volume of people out in our parks and on our trails, and that's a great thing. I mean, it's awesome to see those parks and trails filled with families. What it does bring is a corresponding increase in the amount of of litter and garbage. So, what did we do? Uh, we shifted resources, reallocated some staff, and made that a priority. And so now we have people who are you know dedicated to making sure that our parks and our trails, and particularly our downtown is clean and tidy and inviting and I think that that it becomes a real foundational thing for a city uh, so much is built upon how people feel about the city you know or they take pride in this community because uh, because it looks good and then you know because of that people are less likely to you know just throw something on the ground and so it's all connected but I think the key in terms of those challenges. And and yeah, we're not immune to those staffing challenges. We've had the same issues as everyone else, but we've anticipated it. We were proactive. We saw it coming. We didn't wait until we had a big problem to say, Oh no, now what are we going to do? We don't have anyone who can, you know, deliver this core service. We made adjustments early on. We had a very focused uh, recruiting drive, for instance, on lifeguards because we were talking about this in council back in the spring, saying, hey, summer's coming. We're going to have all of our outdoor pools open. we got our new community center. We want to extend the hours. People want to get out there. They've been held up inside. They want to get out. They want to use the pool, stay cool. So how are we going to do this? And we worked with our staff for you know, again a very focused and uh uh, uh recruitment drive to get lifeguards We increased the flexibility of our scheduling. They tend to be young people. Some of them want uh, a lot of shifts, so we're able to offer uh, those shifts to people around their schedule. Some want to work only once in a while, and we kind of worked with them. So that flexibility has also really helped. So those are the types of things that you got to do, but you can't wait to the last minute. You know, you got to be proactive. The stuff is is coming down at you. You can see it coming. You just need to take action.
0: Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett. We're talking about some frustrations with some jurisdictions, with some municipalities using excuses like shortages or uh, staffing issues for some of the core services like waste collection, green bin, recycling, or not being able to provide safety in pools and at the beach or on lakes, uh, in parks. Uh, we're with Mayor Brad West of Port Coquitlam, of course, and he is here to take your phone calls to 604-280-9898, star 9898, a free call on your cell. And yes, of course, Mayor West, the phone lines light up for you, my friend. Let's start <laughs> with Lee in Vancouver. Welcome to the show, Lee.
2: Hey, thank you for my call. Um, I just want to point out, or it's very obvious, that what, what's really unique about uh, Mayor West is that he actually him and the council is actually doing what a, a municipal government should do, to take care of waste, community centers, all this stuff. Now, I, I hear the frustration in your voice, Jody, about uh, the city of Vancouver, and that's because you have councils like Boyle, Fry, Reed, Swanson, and mainly the mayor stepping out of their lane and, and going over these really broad issues that are provincial or federal, wasting their money on that, and everything else is suffer uh, accordingly. And that's, that's mm-hmm. apparent. Municipalities in Vancouver, or sorry, the lower mainland, Vancouver is always way out of his lane, whereas you see other municipalities are running well, like your uh, guest is municipality, dealing with the issues that are allotted to them that are uh, fundamental to municipal government.
0: Thanks, Lee. Yeah, uh, Brad, that's that's on the tongues of many in, in the city of Vancouver. Just Can we open the balance sheet, look at all the tax dollars that we're laying down, because it's significant, and where those tax dollars are being allocated. In the prior segment, you referenced how you do make a concerted effort to use tax dollars responsibly and target it?
1: Yeah, I think this is becoming one of the big uh, divides in local government. Um, look, I appreciate that there are a lot of important issues that we're dealing with as a society, uh, but the reality is is that there are very specific responsibilities that local government has to its residents that no other level of government is going to take care of, you know, when the when it starts snowing, and the streets need to get plowed, people don't call their MLA, and say, no. hey, why isn't the provincial government plowing my street? That's the city's responsibility. And inversely, you know, on issues where, you know, whether you know whatever they be, but outside of the realm of local government, um, you know, this idea that the uh, municipal city hall needs to come in and, and, you know, fix all of these, I think just becomes a, a huge challenge. And the ones who are laughing are the provincial and federal government whose responsibility it actually is because they're being relieved of that responsibility by local government. So I think that there are a lot of important issues, but I also believe that there are certain responsibilities that local government has to get right they owe it to their taxpayers. That's what money gets sent to City Hall for. And before you go off uh, trying to get into all these other issues, you better be sure that you're delivering on those core responsibilities.
0: Right. Have your house in order. We're long on calls and short on time. So Michael in Poco, welcome to the show. Quick uh, question or comment for the mayor. (laughs)
2: All right, on. Thanks for taking my call, guys. I just wanted to say that, uh, like, I just when I voted for Brad West, I literally just went down the list and I picked out his name, and I'm so glad that I did because I think he's a great mayor for Port Coquitlam. He's improved uh, McAllister Street. He's improved Prairie Avenue. They're building a new bridge separating uh, Coquitlam Coquitlam from Port Coquitlam. He's never late on the waste collection. And the rec center is absolutely amazing. So I think Brad West has done an amazing job and I can't wait to vote for him again. So good job. Keep it going, buddy. October 15th,
0: 2022. We all go to the polls yet again and hopefully people will step up and vote in their municipality for sure. With just 30 seconds to go here, uh, Mayor West uh, just if there's one piece of advice you can give to the voter when it comes to heading into the booth and they're not sure who to pick off the list, as you just heard Michael say, he went down that list and just picked you. I guess he likes Brad's. <laughs> you know, well,
1: I appreciate it, Michael. I appreciate I have earned your vote for next time. Um, my advice is to uh, to do the homework. I know it can be really overwhelming as a voter. You got you know dozens and dozens of people running. Uh, and it can be really hard to figure out, okay, who stands for what. But I I think you want to look for candidates who understand the job that they're actually applying for. You're not Mm -hmm. applying to be a member of the United Nations, no matter how important that work may be. That's not the job. The job of city council is to deliver for the local community on municipal responsibilities. So my advice to voters out there is look for candidates who understand the job that they're applying for.
0: Really appreciate your time on this holiday. Thank you so much, Mayor West. I I really do uh, value your perspective more than you know.
1: Thanks very much, Jody. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett this week. And before we dive back into the hard news portion of the program, I want to have a little levity with our next guest because on Twitter I saw this thread rolling through about just asking the simple question. You know, some people just toss out the question on social media. Who's the most famous person you've ever met? So I put in mine. I had a couple actually. I used to be a personal assistant in Los Angeles a million years ago in another lifetime. So I had the opportunity to meet some pretty cool people. I want to know who's the most famous person you've ever met. Color, by Buzz lines. Tell us the story. We'll play those messages at the last segment of the show today uh, at 245-604-331-Buzz. 604 331 Now, good friend of the show, Dr. Kevin McLeod, also one of my besties on Twitter, I might say. One of my favorite follows is Doc Kevin McCloud on Twitter. And as we were booking you today, my producer, Ben Dooley, informed me, Kevin, you wanted to have a little bit of a conversation about our most famous people before we dive into the, as I said, the newsier <laughs> bit.
3: I, I think it's, um, you know, that telephone game when people would pass something around a circle and it was changed by the end of it. I think, I think Ben's changed the message there. But, but no, I, um, you, you've <laughs> uh-huh. met way more famous people than me. I've met some, but I see them as patients. So there's no way um, I can mention who they are. So
0: <laughs> Okay, you can't say. Mine that I was talking about on, on my Twitter was Arnold Schwarzenegger. And the, the, the long of the short of it is my boss was starring in Kindergarten Cop with him. So I actually was there for Arnold Schwarzenegger's birthday and Pamela Reed, my boss, got him a guest book for his private jet for his birthday gift. And as her assistant, I had it made. So that's my (laughs) claim to fame. I I had his guest book made. Some of the lowest paying jobs of my life have offered me the greatest of experiences. All right. I love it. I love it. (laughs) There you go. Well, you're hardworking. And speaking of jobs that we have that that, uh, offer, um, you know, some struggle, but... You know, great uh, gratitude from many. I hope let's let's start here on this holiday Monday, Doctor McLeod, for you and all of our healthcare workers who are working on this day. I really appreciate you, your team, the people who are listening right now, and perhaps feeling like they've reached their wits end. We do appreciate all of our healthcare workers, and and for those who don't know your voice, don't know your name, you are a doctor of internal medicine. You're an med- internal medicine specialist, in fact, for North Shore. Vancouver and Whitehorse. And the, the reason I wanted to talk to you today, excuse me, doctor, is you may or may not have heard uh, this morning on Mornings with Simi, uh, Raji Sohal, uh, our Mornings uh, contributor, was speaking with Janet Nadine Mort. Now, Janet placed an ad, a want ad in her local paper, The Times Colonist. Seeking a family doctor to renew prescriptions. She spoke to Raji about the difficulty she's had finding a new doctor since their family doctor retired in December.
4: Have a listen. It's been impossible. Uh, I have spent countless hours uh, calling every possible uh, option there might be. And I would find a clinic that specialized in geriatric patients who Uh, that closed, Uh, a local one that has only um, been functioning for maybe a year or two years, uh, closed. Uh, Newspapers reported that they had difficulties um, maintaining the facility, particularly. Um, So there were special options that withdrew from the market. Um, and I resorted to walk-in clinics. I never did find a walk-in clinic between Christmas and now uh, that I could, I could get into. Um, I would dial for hours uh, starting at uh, quarter to nine when they opened at nine. And uh, the, I would finally get a voicemail saying they were full for the day and they wouldn't take uh, a wait list.
0: So that's the voice of a woman trying to get a prescription filled for her 82-year-old husband. Dr. McLeod, how did we get here?
3: Yeah, I mean, the sad thing, Jody, is it's it's not a unique story. The unique piece of the story is that she posted an ad, but there's there's so many people who who are out there in the same boat. You know, pharmacists can sometimes renew the medications, but you also have to say when you're 82, are you on the right medications? Who's reevaluating that? Is the dose correct? It's it's not as simple as just renewing something. Um, you know, medications can get us into a lot of trouble if we're on the wrong dose or or on the wrong medication. So you need that longitudinal care to make sure you're on the right things, the right dose, and you know, and this this. Poor woman and her husband are falling through the cracks, but but that's a lot of people. That's a lot. Um, it, it's a lot of people, and and it, you know, again, I'm not defending government, but I feel for them. Like this isn't a simple thing to solve. That there's so many people who who've left practice. I like the analogy. You know, we sort of had this rowboat, and you know, to make the rowboat function optimally, we need a hundred people all with oars paddling. Well, we've been paddling with. You know 85 people for so long then the pandemic hit and that sort of pushed some people out of the system for a whole multitude of reasons and you know then we're down to 79 80 people but when you're pushing those remaining people to row harder and harder some jump overboard and say i'm out and and then the, the remaining people are pushing harder and harder but eventually the the ship doesn't go in the right direction or it starts turning or whatever else and we're kind of at that point now. And it's, it's very hard to get more people back into the boat. It's, it's not a, hey, we'll, we'll give you more money, come back into yeah. the boat. You know, I, I overheard it on the, the wards on Friday, Saturday. I don't know, it's all blending into one. But, you know, nurses were saying that they're short-staffed, and I appreciate the compliment you said at the beginning, but the nurses work way harder than me. And, and they were saying they're short-staffed for the holiday Monday. Well, that never happened, right, because they would get extra pay on the holiday days. They still do. But, but now they're at a point saying it's not, it's not the money, like it's not worth it for that extra bit. And, and that's a very dangerous place to be because then how do you recruit people? Mm. Um, you know, it's not something you can just throw dollars out and fix.
0: And therein lies the rub, right? It's not it, it, pre pandemic, it was very much about being underpaid and, and understaffed and, and constantly in a perpetual creative overtime model, not being able to really truly plan your life around the time you're supposed to be off because you never know, maybe you're not off. Um, and we talked about those stories ongoing pre pandemic. And here we are now. I cannot imagine, honestly, Dr. McLeod, I am exhausted and I'm not working in a hospital. I cannot imagine what it's like to be a nurse right now. I
3: think it's brutal for them. I mean, it really is, right? I mean, you're doing 12-hour shifts. You're, you know, if you're conscientious, you're probably staying a little bit longer than your shift and not getting paid for that. Um, you know, you're incredibly short-staffed, so the intensity of the work is, is that much harder. And, you know, I mean, some of our hospitals don't even have air conditioning, right? So, you know, you're working in 28, 30-degree heat with fans. And, you know, it's it's... It's really tough. Um, and and I think a lot of people say, well, then I'm out. And, and the piece that's difficult is, you know, for us as a society is there's lots of other jobs right now for for people in that situation to do. I mean, I, I know some nurses who've, who've left and they're working in restaurants and they're making probably better money with the tips for much less intense work. It's still hard work, but it's much less intense work. But they've left the system entirely. Um, and, and, you know, they're probably healthier having done that. But then it, it leaves, you know, the remaining people in more of a bind.
0: I know I'm grabbing you in the middle of your workday here, so I don't want to keep you too long. I do want to reiterate something that you and I talked about early last week when I had you on on a different topic. So I really appreciate all of the time you're giving me here. But one of the ideas that has really stuck with me that when we were just talking through what could work, because just throwing money at it's not going to work. Cutting another ribbon somewhere is not going to work. But when you brought up the idea of taking international accredited, you know, due diligence done on the paperwork behind the people who are here doing jobs that are are not at all related to their field of expertise and having them work alongside the nurses, giving these nurses a, a bump in what they're making to bring along somebody else to understand the processes here in our system, adding bodies, adding someone to help make it somewhat easier to do that job that feels so impossible right now.
3: Yeah, I mean I I personally like that idea. I mean I'm sure there would be some hiccups to implement it, but you know, there's hiccups that we're dealing with right now and yeah. you know, we we've got to do something different and I I think there it can't just be lip service. There has to be more of a hey, we're going to partner with you as nurses, we're going to partner with you as doctors. Um, you know, this isn't going to be a solve top-down kind of approach. Um, and and I you know we have to be be careful i mean we don 't want to start poaching people from other countries that are that are struggling themselves, but there are a lot of people who are highly trained here and we 're not utilizing their training right um you know, That's and a I'd, good point, I'd rather though. have
0: your well, you, yeah, yeah, you really balance. yeah. but yep, but yep. I'd
3: rather have more nurses. And hey, Uber's a bit more expensive because there is less people doing that. You know, we sort of have to decide as a society how we want to best use people's skills. But let's use these skills in the healthcare system that we need.
0: Right, saving lives should be pretty much at the top of that list, and preventative medicine also a piece of that puzzle. Access to healthcare. We're with uh, Dr. Kevin McLeod, who's an internal medicine specialist for North Shore at Vancouver and uh, Whitehorse, and and Dr. McLeod. As I said, we pull you out of your work hours. You you are one of the best follows on social media, Doc D O C Kevin McLeod. On Twitter. Um, You put out so much positivity and pragmatic reality. And I think there's now is the time for us all to engage on what needs to happen. So we aren't just seeing the beginning of what could get remarkably worse. Do you feel we can pull out of the tailspin that we feel ourselves in right now?
3: I think so. I mean, I think we have to move away from blaming. I mean, it's very easy to blame the current government. It's very easy to blame the past government. It's very easy to to blame different groups, but it doesn't really matter how we got here. We are here. And, you know, how are we going to move forward together? Right. I mean, let's not rehash the past. Let's figure out what we do next because fighting isn't going to fix this. And and we actually really need to fix it in like quickly, like yesterday, because, you know, we shouldn't have people running ads and newspapers to try to find a dog. And, and the scariest part of that ad, it's not that, Hey, I can't find a family dog. I can't find a walk-in clinic. I can't find a private option through TELUS or whoever. Everything is overloaded, right? So people say, well, just privatize things. Well, that isn't going to fix anything. Every system is overwhelmed with lack of of staff. So, you know, we we really need to come together to fix that.
0: Dr. Kevin McLeod, always good to chat with you, my friend. Thank you for doing this.
3: Okay, I've got to run because I've got lunch with Arnold Schwarzenegger. So.
0: Okay, you go have lunch with Arnold. Ask him about the <laughs> guest book on his private jet. Do you have any brushes with famous people that weren't work-related that you can share? Just one? Uh, well, do you got I've, one? I've
3: met Trudeau a few times. and I, know, right. but, um, but He's famous. He's the most famous, I guess. But um, All
0: right. Yeah, so. Prime Minister works, Kevin. Prime Minister he works. works. He works. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> I met Vanderzam
3: years ago, but I was a kid.
0: Oh, well, there Anyways,
3: you go. I'll see you later.
0: Jody Vance, with you. Jill's off this week, and last week when I was filling in on this show, I had the opportunity to speak to longtime broadcaster Erin Sabula. You'd know her voice, you'd know her face. She is the spokesperson for BC Children's Hospital Hometown Heroes Lottery. You know, win a house, win a car, um, dedicated to helping kids around BC. And each year, there's a campaign that is done where Erin shows off the things that that you might win and. The kickoff this year for that campaign was actually shrouded in fairly, uh, a, a really dark cloud, actually, one that included body shaming for this beautiful individual, beautiful inside and out, but body shaming, online comments that were really bad and a lot of them shocking what the stories that Aaron shared. And we're going to play a little snippet here because Erin Sebula took to her social media and basically said, you know what? Enough. I'm calling it out. I'm so proud of her for doing that as well. My DMs filled up on my Twitter and, and my text. You can always reach me, Jody at cknw.com is my email here on the show. I, I'm the one who reads them. I share them. And, and I'll have a guest here who actually reached out to me by DM because of this jumping off point. But first, I want to, in case you missed it, here's what Aaron Sebula, a snippet of what Aaron Sebula told me last week with what happened. Listen.
5: Well, I mean, I think first of all, I just know now I have my boundaries, which I think we all need to have. Um, I think we have to stand up and say that's not right. Um, and we also I think, you know, as, as just a general rule of life is before you say something that you know, will, whether you say it online or, you know, if it's on, a, on social media, if it's online somewhere, think about standing in front of that person and saying it to their face. Yeah. Would you do it? Would you say in that moment? I liked you better when you were skinny. You were hotter as a blonde. You, you actually look, you know, you look better in person than on, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Would you say this to their face? Would you
0: tell your doctor you got a great ass? I don't think so. So let's lean in on the doctor piece here because that interview with Aaron, as I said, sparked a lot of reaction. Thankfully, the conversation is the most important piece, but it also caused our next guest, Dr. Anna Wallach, to reach out, wanting to discuss her experience with body shaming in the medical field and gender uh, inequality issues, and and honestly, misogyny into racism. Dr. Anna Wallach is with us now live. Thank you for doing this, Doctor. Thanks for having me, Jody. So you're a family physician and you're an assistant professor at UBC. And on Twitter, on our DM exchange, you shared a story with me. Would you be comfortable in sharing that when you were um, locum? Oh, oh, we we shared lots of stories on, on we, Twitter, did, we did, we yeah. did. So the one,
6: so I think there was one when I was a locum in Australia. So this was many, 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 many years ago. Um, and one of the things was there was somebody who had said, who who had I, I had been doing a locum for a doctor who was Caucasian and was male and was was significantly older than me, and one of the patients came in and said, "Oh, I saw that you were foreign. do you speak English and I'm like, uh yeah, I trained in Australia, and they'd be like, "Oh, but do you speak english and it, it wasn't just this one person it happened multiple times and then there were other patients who would say oh we we want a doctor exactly like doctor x so we don't want somebody who's brown we don't want somebody who's female we don't want somebody who who has kids there there were a lot of things that came up came up with with that
0: mm-hmm. that's just it's shocking and yet at the same time not i uh, you know as a white woman i have not faced much of that, you know, working in a male dominated environment and being 17 years in sports, I got some of it, but I can't imagine being a physician, an assistant professor, and still dealing with that in 2022. What are you seeing now?
6: Well, you know, one of the things that was not funny, ha ha, but, but ironic, as you were airing this story on physician Facebook groups, we were all talking about how there was somebody who was concerned who, who had just come back from maternity leave and people were commenting on how she, she hadn't gotten her figure back. I've gotten comments on, Oh, you look so much better before the pandemic. I guess you mean, I guess you thought COVID-19 meant you could gain 19 pounds or there are patients who come straight out and say, Hey, you look different. Are you pregnant? And we have to say, well, no, we're just fat. And it's, it's, I know Erin um, had said, would you say this to your doctor to their face? And you know what? It is happening. People across Canada are reporting these sorts of stories.
0: So how do you even begin to navigate that in a position as a physician? Pardon the the alliteration there. (laughs) Um, But how how do you even, when you're looking at a patient and you're trying to assess them, you're trying to think about their well-being, look out for their best interests, talk about their symptoms, come to a solution and they go, wow, you don't look very good. Like, how do yeah. you not be offended? How do you not be mortified by, you know, get out would come to so mind, but you can't. A lot of that, you,
6: clearly we can't. A lot of that is compartmentalized where we have to, we we take it and, you know, we hate it and we hate ourselves for it. But, you know, our our primary focus is our patients. Our patients going to say something. We take it. We cannot use it against them, even though it makes us feel like the lowest of the low, but it just gets tucked away in a corner in our minds. And then when the patient leaves, that's when, that's when it hurts. That's when we're like, oh, like, ouch, did that patient really say that?
0: I'm so g- grateful that you do have a community of of physicians who can, who can talk this out because I can't imagine the stress and pressure you're under. Um, I love the fact that we've connected on social media. Sometimes in the in the cesspool of social media, you find great people and I consider you one of them. If you'd like to follow Dr. Uh, Anna Wallach, it's D-R-A-W-O-L-A-K on Twitter, Dr. A. Wallach on Twitter. Uh, She's a family physician, a wife, a mother. I love how you put in here, Broadway fan, but Filipino, Canadian, and your tweets are not medical advice and they don't represent any organizations, but you do have a very clear and concise POV that I think is very helpful for those who might think that it's okay to make comments such as those that you have just referenced, especially the slow talking Concern that because you present as a person of, of color or a person of, of varied non caucasian, I don't even know how to say it politically correctly, but I'm just it's as the daughter of an immigrant of family who largely didn't speak English, my grandparents, you know, thick accents, um, you know, who would say that to a physician they are lucky enough to have access to, and and asking you slowly more than once if you speak English.
6: Oh gosh, there was. I mean, in in there was one time when I was in the grocery store, and there was somebody who said, "Oh, look, there's that new doctor," and somebody said, "She might hear you." And they said, "Oh, that's okay. I don't think she speaks any English." Oh, like, like just the the aisle just next door. Like, you know, I was buying vegetables.
0: That is just nuts. And the weight gain piece, like having somebody who just came back from mat leave, are we at a point in society that we can't even do the math in our brains to not think that, you know, got your Hollywood body back is a thing.
6: yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, when I was pregnant, I'd have patients who'd come straight to my face and ask me like, well, is it a boy or a girl? And I hadn't told other people. And so I'd answer quite straight out and be like, it's a dinosaur.
0: Jodi Vance in for Jill Bennett, continuing our conversation with a wonderful physician who's literally like jumped out of her taking of patients all day. Dr. Anna Woollock is with us to speak on the subject of body shaming, racism, misogyny, narcissism in patients who appear in Exam rooms across the country and certainly here as a family physician and as an assistant prof at UBC, Dr. Wallach is with us. And before the break, I teased the fact that, I mean, I cannot imagine what it was like for you and the medical community to see people protesting outside of hospitals and see people acting aggressively towards those wearing scrubs. Could you ever in a million years have imagined that that would be a reality for you when you were training to become a physician?
6: Yeah. No, and in fact, what what most of us the the mentality that we all have is, and we're still talking about it now in, on social media, where a lot of doctors are like, "When did we get so hated?" And that was like we spend decades in training, and all we want is to make life better for everyone. And now people are in danger going to work. We had, you know, in the early on there was a a doctor in Red Deer who was. Um, bashed in the head by a colleague, and people are still talking. Uh, by a colleague, sorry, by a patient. He was bashed in the head during the in the middle of the day, and most of us, especially the females, were like, "How can we go to work tomorrow?" Like everybody was terrified. And when memos were going out saying, "Don't wear scrubs to work," or "Don't wear scrubs outdoors when you go into work," because you could be your security is at risk, and it's we're all like. Why are we the enemy? Why are we hated? And it's nobody wants. Nobody knows the answer. We're all asking it rhetorically, but it's it's a, a cry of despair at the moment.
0: Yeah, gut wrenching. And then you add another layer as a Filipino Canadian. You add another layer on top of that. As we were referencing prior to the break, there are more and more people making comments about race, racist comments when it comes to looking for a physician in this time where doctors are disappearing and and we can't you know a walk-in clinic is a three-week wait and people still are are racist when they go looking for a physician in your experience it's
6: less now
0: when you know
6: years ago when i was still accepting patients people would come in and look at me and be like oh you're brown because my last name does not present as filipino and it it just it comes straight out they're like oh you're not white or or oh, you're a girl, I'm like, my name's Anna
0: like what, what else what part of exactly. that did you miss? yeah
6: exactly yeah. and so there, there was a and you know my it, it, there's a lot there was a lot of that. I don't feel it as much now because I'm not accepting new patients, but right. we see it from other colleagues where where they they, they say you know there there's certain ethnicity place, a big role in, in patients and how they treat them. And certainly we still, we, we get it where, um, you know, I still have patients who, you know, there are few of them, but they think I'm the nurse because I'm Filipino
0: unbelievable that's just I mean the assumptions made the pieces of this that are just so complex I am i am relieved to hear that it's not escalating when it comes to the racism piece but sad in that the, maybe the only reason it's not happening to you is because you're not taking new patients which is <laughs> yeah. just mind-boggling and I do have to mention hopefully you're all right with me saying this because in our back and forth you are a busy hard-working family physician and we were trying to connect with you to make sure we could have this conversation and you literally said I'm so sorry I was so busy with so many patients and so many COVID positive. So you're walking into harm's way each and every day. We do have a couple of callers on the line, doctor, and I want to bring in Terry from New Westminster. Is there something you wanted to say, Terry?
7: Yeah, I'd like to congratulate uh, the lady for her uh, career choice. Uh, My sister was a nurse. She's now retired. Uh, She found it at the end of her career quite demanding and stressful. Um, As far as being judged on skin color Um, Yeah, it's just really unacceptable. It's unfortunate. I call uh, social media anti-social media. Uh, This is an unfortunate incident. I was on a SkyTrain years ago going out to Surrey to work. I'm a social worker wearing a Montreal Canadiens hockey jacket because I'm a Montreal fan because of Ken Dryden. And an East Indian fellow was giving me a really kind of rude look. So I said, sir, you don't mind me asking, but how come you're looking at me in the way that you're looking at me? And his reply was, you're a separatist. So it does, unfortunately, seem to work both ways. I voted for an East Indian to be Prime Minister without any concern of his background whatsoever. So my uh, advice to people is chill out. Everybody's basically the same. The skin colour doesn't matter. It's how they treat their friends, their family, and other people in our society as well.
0: Thank you very much for the phone call, Terry. And, you know, circling it back, Doctor, to the idea that it is on all of us to set a tone of, of... being our best self and, and accepting one another exactly how we are. I, I would hope that we would be, and this is coming from the entitled white girl daughter of an immigrant, but I mean, watching, watching my, the, my Japanese half of my family, you know, having siblings who are half Japanese and I'm not seeing how differently we are, 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 are accepted or, or not. Um it is real. Like for 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 me for a white person it's difficult for me to ever understand what it's like to walk a mile in the sho- in the shoes of a person of color. So I think you bringing your perspective forward is so vital for everyone to hear.
6: I mean I I agree it it, it can be seen like both ways it can be seen from I mean I'm to complicate matters I'm half Filipino, half Chinese. So it, growing up I was always too dark to be chinese in my chinese family on the chinese side of my family but on the filipino side i was too yellow to be filipino so there's always been so so i agree with your previous with your caller that there are it, it it cannot be just you know people of color saying that there is something that that there is this racism it it goes always and a lot of it we are seeing a lot of it escalate during this time and it's it's just it's never going to so be yeah, it's
0: never going to be black and white. I think that's the way we punctuate this. I wish I could talk to you for another half hour. Honestly, Dr. Wallach, thank you so much for doing this.
6: Yeah, no, thank you for having me.
0: Jody Vance with you. Jill on vacation this week. Hope you're having a good holiday Monday. It is a busy news day, as uh, you may or may not have heard in that newscast. I want to reiterate that the lifeguard shortage uh, continues in the city of Vancouver um it kits beach second beach no no drop-ins at kits pool that is second beach and sunset beach no lifeguards uh, english bay the only uh downtown beach uh in vancouver that uh has lifeguard uh closest one so be safe out there look out for one another and keep in mind that when it comes to water safety it's not a loud thrashing event It it is quite silent. Uh, Put your phone away if you are on uh, lifeguard duty in your family or in your group. Uh, Just a reminder as we are all trying to uh, enjoy our BC day long weekend. Now, last week, we were talking about uh, body shaming with Erin Sebula. You may or may not have heard it. The reaction to that segment was unbelievable because obviously, Erin's situation is not unique. She just has a, a voice and a platform to utilize in order to say, it's not on, it's not cool, it must stop. If you missed her segment, just before we get to what to do if you're faced with body shaming or racism or misogyny, or whether it's online or in person, how how best to process that and manage it, which is what we're going to do next with Dr. Michelle Cambolis, registered therapist and mind-body health specialist, because these things can leave a mark Erin was talking about how it was really a cloud over her BC Children's Hospital uh, hometown lottery, which is what launched and what sort of sparked the body shaming that was coming from more than one source. And it's just, everybody needs needs to check themselves. Here's a little snippet of what Erin said last week. Have a listen.
5: Picture me, I'm standing in a doorway, I'm wearing an orange dress, my lottery, we're launching. We we just launched this fabulous lottery, as you said, raising money for BC Children's. And this is what I wrote. Almost three weeks have passed since we launched our dreamy 2020 lottery. It's an exciting time for me because I get to work with a team that makes a real difference in the lives of BC's kids. But there's been a cloud over this year's campaign and I feel compelled to speak out. Since launching, I have been sent or tagged in comments about my body, pseudo compliments and lame stuff about bigger bones, extra curves, and others too uncool to mention. And even though I've been in the public eye for 20 plus years, it still doesn't feel good. So I'm taking this moment to stand up and say that I will not tolerate body shaming on any of my social media channels, and neither should you. If this is how you roll, you will be promptly blocked and unfriended. But if you're here to be kind and cool
0: and curious, come on in. Which is a good first step. People tell me all the time, you should just mute. Uh, No, no thanks. We'll just block. That's cool. I don't need to change anybody. But when you witness it in this day and age, this is what I really struggle with. And I'm not sure about you. And maybe this is a conversation to have while you're in the sailing weight or you're, you know, caught in the bottleneck of traffic coming back from the interior or in the Fraser Valley, like wherever you're traveling back from, if, if that's your if that's what's happening today, ponder this. What would you do now? If you witness that, if you witness somebody body shaming, if you witness somebody being racist or being misogynistic in front of you, because I know what I would have done two and a half years ago, I would have stepped in. Hey, what are you doing? What do you think? You're, what is that? Would you say that? How do you talk? Is that how you talk to people? Like any of those things. I find I'm more apt to step down because of the ag- aggressive nature of of how quickly things escalate now and, and can be downright dangerous. So I thought, you know what, let's have a conversation with someone who knows how to calm a situation because she's a registered therapist and and knows about how the human mind works. Dr. Michelle Cambolis, often a touchstone for us here on the show. I'm so glad to have you join us. Thanks for doing this.
8: Well, thank you for having me on. And this is the first of of me hearing what Erin has been going through. And first of all, I want to convey how sorry I am that she's had to go through this. Um, and it does open a uh, conversation and a way for us to be able to unpack it because the fact is none of us are immune and we're all going to at times have experiences with others that hurt deeply. Um, and you rose, you raised something really important, which is what do we do? Do we call the person out? Do we call them in? Do we respond at all? And um, ultimately, we want to be able to bring some mindfulness and wisdom to these situations, because I think we can all agree that the world needs more compassion, more kindness, and more wisdom.
0: And that There's requires no that we
8: really look at our, at our own values.
0: Yeah. And, and you, you mentioned, because for years and years, and yeah, up until I'm going to say the Me Too movement for women, in particular and there are many tentacles to this but for women when when something untoward was said somebody has done something taken action in in an inappropriate way we were told you know what ignore it suck it up it'll go away don't worry about it it's just the way it is you know we've we've heard that for so long and then there was the actionable no there's strength in numbers there's strength in talking it through and 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 having a voice about it and really with what when the longer form or longer portion of the interview with Erin, she was talking about how she learned of these comments was actually people were going to the BC Children's Hospital website and posting these comments. I mean, have That's we horrifying. lost, in, have in we the, lost well, the plot?
8: In the anim- anonymity of social media and technology, um, people are impulsive, um, you know, respond quickly. They don't stop and think. And um, and unfortunately, those kinds of situations can can really not only sting, they can be traumatic and um, and and have an impact long term emotionally and psychologically. So, you know, the the question is, when is it safe to respond? And that's something that we we have to assess in each situation. So the first question is, is it safe to respond? And if so, how will I respond? And and I don't know how it is for you, but when I'm going through that kind of kick in the gut sort of feeling when someone has said something that's harmful, my thinking mind can literally go offline. It's the same for most of us. And yeah. in that feeling of panic, it can be hard to communicate wisely. And and so words be gloss to us or we can impulsively say something that just adds into the situation. So the first step is, is to really resource yourself by doing something that's very hard. I'm going to ask you to do something really hard, but it's really important. And that means just stopping, just taking a wise pause to, to look after yourself in the, in the moment. So just create a little bit of space between what's been said and your response. And just taking a deep breath and reminding yourself, this is not about me, this is about them. Um, can give you enough room to respond in a wise way.
0: There's power in that pause.
8: Well, there sure is. There sure is. It's one of the most difficult things to do because our fight response goes into high gear and we want to bite back.
0: Jody Vanson for Jill Bennett. Have you found yourself in a situation where somebody has said something to you or in front of you that has been body shaming or racist or misogynistic, something that feels next level. We feel like that escalation of angst and divisiveness in the silos. We've been talking about this for years now with all that we've collectively been through. People are frazzled. But the inappropriate nature of some of the things that are being said, that are being just tossed around, like barbs thrown out, it, it it's really something if you've got one of those and you're wondering how to best respond here's an opportunity to tap into one of the great, therapists of our part of the world. Dr. Michelle Cambolis is a registered therapist as well as the author of When Women Rise, an opportunity here to talk with Michelle. Uh, 604-280-9898 is the number. Star 9898 is a free call on your cell. 604-280-9898. And Michelle, before the break, I was saying, you know, how we engage. You said, you know, the first tool is to pause But once you pause and you recognize that somebody continues to come at you, continues to belittle or or in particular, and and I come at this as the daughter of an immigrant. You and I have talked about this before because both of us are daughters of of immigrants and but present as entitled white women.
4: You know, we are
0: we are coming from a very different perspective than so many who deal with so much more.
8: That's an important point.
0: It is, right? So what are we doing yeah. when, we are, when we are inundated with this? What do you do?
9: Well, yes. Yeah. So we've talked
8: about collecting yourself and looking after yourself in that moment. And then the question is, what does right action look like? And you have to make a pretty quick assessment as to whether or not it's a safe environment to be able to say something directly. And, and if you decide that um, it, it is, you have two choices. You can either call the person out, which is more public, or you can call them in, which involves taking them to the side and having, you know, that, that conversation. And there's, there's a place for both of those responses. I find that calling someone in leaves a lot more room for self-reflection. Calling a person out is really setting a boundary in the moment, um, as a way of stepping in and ensuring that we're not normalizing this kind of behavior. So, you know, e- either way you want to create awareness about the impact and you'd be surprised by the number of those who make this their everyday language and are completely oblivious to the fact that they're causing harm. And so the first step is to let them know, I need you to know that what you just said really stung, really yeah. hurt.
0: And, that th- and then you must is probably more helpful than the, the, as you said in the prior segment, that sort of fight or flight situation where, I mean, the back goes up, uh, you know, the brain body disconnect happens and you just push back with equal forces what you were just met with. And that right. just escalates the scenario. I mean, we see, see that playing out on social media politically constantly around us. And yet it can All get incredibly personal. It can get, you know, and there is a point where it turns into harassment, yeah,
8: yeah, it can take uh, such a life of its own because then you're, you're feeding the conflict. You're, you're um, in a sense, you're, um, you're just creating a bigger divide. So anytime we can actually calm ourselves long enough to enter into that person's world, to create an understanding and let them know, okay, look, I'm another human being here, and what you just said really hurt. And then then you might
0: want to try and invite in a little bit
8: of insight. What's happening for you right now? That would bring you to say something like that to me. Oh, I like that. What is happening for you? And then ultimately we need to do what Erin did, which is make the boundary clear. I will not tolerate this kind of behavior. Right. I won't tolerate it.
0: Yeah. Laying that down is a really, again, scary to do. And the moment you do it, reclaiming the power there is, is significant.
8: Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, the vast majority feel a lot of shame over these kinds of microaggressions that, you know, they're carrying some level of pain, anger, hatred themselves. And so if we can create an opening to, to, to calmly discuss what just happened it gives them more room to reflect. It gives them more room to learn. And then we walk away feeling less victimized. There are times when that's not possible at all, in which case we go straight to the boundary. But any chance we get to open um, a, you know, a wise uh, heart space is yeah. one that we should try and, and, um, and grab.
0: Dr. Campbellis is a registered therapist, a family therapist, a mind-body health specialist, and the author of When Women Rise. It's an unbelievably great read, I have to say. Mm-hmm. I have it on my bedside table right this second. Um, Michelle, when it comes to somebody who maybe is living uh, near or even with somebody who treats them, uh, to some level of abuse, whether it's emotional or otherwise, um, the advice goes next level. That is not time for pause. That is not time for personal reflection. That is time for gathering the power of others and, and and removing the veil of shame that often comes with being a situation like that. We're hearing more and more because of the tensions throughout our society right now, more and more uh, domestic violence that is, that is taking place uh, advice to before I let you go, the, the advice to, to the woman in that scenario?
8: Domestic violence is at a burgeoning level, for sure, because the cultural pressure uh, cooker that we're in. And so if, if that is your situation, so, so important to reach out for help. And um, Jody, maybe you can pop up um, on the website, the helpline, uh, because it can be very difficult to leave. It takes a lot of of, of, uh, support and courage. And, um, and it's a process. So the first step is, is to, to reach out and, um, make sure that you're well supported. Uh,
0: one 768 2488 768 2488 It's seven days a week, seven days a week. You can speak with somebody, one 768 2488 Reach out, start talking to somebody about what you're going through and gather your people around you. You'll be surprised to find out that even those you don't know will come to your rescue as you stand up for yourself. I know this to be true. Michelle is one of those people who stands up for me. I stand with her. Thank you, Dr. Cambolis.
8: Oh, my pleasure. So glad to be on with you. And um, thank you for raising this incredibly important topic.
0: Jody Vance, with you strap in, we're going to talk park board. Yeah, we're going to talk bike lanes. We're going to talk Stanley Park. We're going to talk pools as well, because you may or may not have missed it there with Toby uh, in his newscast. There's a latest update just 24 minutes ago. The Vancouver Park Board tweeted out, Uh, The latest update, due to the ongoing lack of lifeguard availability, the 5.45 swim at Kitts Pool and 6 p.m. swim at Second Beach Pool will be cancelled today for both drop-ins and reservations. Refunds will be issued. Again, our apologies for the inconvenience. We're going to get into the lifeguards in a second, but before we do... This is really something, and I'm not sure if you were tuned in for the Mike Smith show earlier today. You missed a great show, by the way. So much great intel always on the Mike Smith show from 9 to noon here on CKNW. But particularly today, we heard from Paul Runnels. He is partner and senior VP of creative and production at Brand Live. You know, the ones that put on the big concerts, the big events, Brand Live. He's got serious concerns about the future of major events like Skookum Festival in Stanley Park. Why? Well, because of the controversial bike lane.
2: Yeah, well, right now it's impossible because the bike lane, um, the section of bike lane on the east side of the park, um, which has significant portions of it that have got uh, cement barriers down, prevent us from being able to move in the the kinds of equipment vehicles that need to come into the park to do these events. So our frustration is that currently it's impossible to do, to do an event in there or a major, any sort of major event. Um, but yet uh, this Stanley park mobility study that's been under underway for some time now has yet to reach out to any of the event producers that use the park to get our input or our comments on, uh, on what, what we need and what what we you know, what we might be able to work with going forward, so that's the that's the frustration is we want to see that we're at the table uh, with along with the rest of the stakeholder group to be able to talk about what are our respective needs and how do we how do we marry those all together to make sure that it, one the benefit to one is not at the expense to another as far as the user yeah. groups in the park.
0: Again, that's Paul Reynolds, the partner and senior VP of creative and production at Brand Live, uh, put the needs of one above the needs of the other and somebody who has been very, very vocal on the needs of people with disabilities, seniors who cannot access this park the way they once could. Stanley Park, a place for all certainly turned into a playground for few with this bike lane that has been rammed in. Certainly being a park board commissioner has never been more difficult. And our next guest is one who always answers the call. When we ask, Tricia Barker joins us. Thank you for doing this.
9: Thanks for having me on Jody.
0: One thing I know about you, Tricia is that with all of what has been happening, you have been sitting at the table asking for your voice to be heard on behalf of those who Uh, have not been invited to be heard at the table. And when they were told they might be heard at a meeting, then meetings are shut down because people feel, the park board commissioners, apparently some of them feel unsafe. Uh, There's a whole big ball of wax associated with that. But just trying to put your voice forward on behalf of those, because your regular day job is helping seniors and people with disabilities and those end of life. Like you couldn't be trying harder on behalf of the most vulnerable.
9: Yeah, and I think people forget um, politicians are supposed to be speaking up for the people. And when four years ago, when I said I was going to run in the election, it was to be the voice for seniors. And once I got in, uh, some people with disabilities said, can, can we jump on board? Sounds strange if I'm saying that. But, um, you know, so it, it did grow. But my job is to be their voice. My job is to be speaking out at the table for them. And I know when you get elected, they say you have to speak for everyone. But I really take that. I promised them I would speak for them. And that's what I continue to do.
0: And you do that, and here you are now being echoed by somebody who has nothing to do with people with disabilities, but another huge swath of society, our citizens who wanna access that park and utilize it as we have enjoyed it in years past, decades past in fact, being able to gather, being at a festival or being at an event there. And how, as you heard in the clip from the senior VP of Creative and Production for Brand Live, There are concerns of future events in Stanley Park not being able to happen because you cannot get trucks in and out of the venue because of that bike lane.
9: Yes, and I was actually on the seawall this morning uh, for out for a little walk and ran into a family and said that they have to really uh, think about when they're going to come out to the park. Because they uh, take their bikes actually in their car, on their car, uh, two adults and two kids. And they said, it's made it very difficult for us if we want to come. And we had to come first thing in the morning and not later in the day. So there are many people that can't get access, easy access to the park. As for um, the big events, it's, you know, it was very interesting when he came and spoke at the meeting to hear, for one thing, that they had not been talked to and also to know that they just won't be able to do it.
0: And it's it's not just brand live. I mean we're hearing rumblings from further out al- along the paths pathways and what used to be roadways that go to and from Stanley Park and even those at the Sylvia Hotel are having issues getting supplies to there you know and and we're talking about tourism that's been starved for two plus years through a pandemic and and faced with ever greater struggles in the name of what right this mobility study that has been you know I took it I took the um the survey and I I don't think I've ever seen a survey that just pointed you in the direction of what they wanted the result to be. Um, and cause I want what's best for the city. I love cycling. I love riding my bikes. I have five bikes. I'm very grateful to be able to ride around my city, but for those who live, you know, on Southeast Marine drive and they want to go to Stanley park, they're not cycling with their elders from, you know, Marine drive and boundary to get to Stanley park. They're going to take their car down there, park it and then ride in the park. Like, being able to access the park for all is the goal here. This isn't anti bike. This is mindful park management for so many of us that are frustrated, Tricia.
9: And you know, Jody, but when you think about park management, very early on in this four year cycle, with when we had the Green Cope Alliance and they dictate, they're the majority. Uh, they let it be known that they want to remove cars from Stanley Park, and also they put a moratorium on new events happening in parks. They put a halt any old ones were grandfathered through, but nothing new would happen until they wanted to revamp how did they did events in parks so it 's when you kind of connect the dots it's kind of going, Oh, so you're not even letting even the ones that were grandfathered through in. So, so we just cannot have new events. Some of the things that so many people love to go to, um, in our parks
0: and outdoor events that are safe. And after everything we've been through with COVID, why are we not utilizing our green spaces, our outdoor spaces, our jewels in and around Vancouver? Can I ask you this? You know, the inner workings of the park board better than most anyone. Um, after October fifteenth, twenty twenty two, when a new park board is elected, and many of those who are the agenda group that, that you mentioned, the Green Cope Alliance, not re- running for re-election, not surprisingly, will will things be able to be changed back or changed to a new normal that that does reflect the community? Can or are these things locked in?
9: Nothing is locked in. Anything Great. can be changed. Anything Great. can be changed. If you had a new majority of people that are more aligned with common sense um, and what the majority wants, not on the board, but the people, um, you can change almost anything. And I think that we see, uh, remember, we, we were supposed to have a huge bridge uh, instead of the tunnels. And, right. you know, the new government came in and said, nope, we're not going to do that. So I think right. that things can be changed, but you have to make sure that, that what you're doing is what the people who elected you want to have done and that we are going along with the majority. It's not just some very loud, smaller groups that are pushing an agenda forward.
0: Jody Vance in for Jill Bennett, continuing our chat with Trisha Barker, NPA Park Board Commissioner. And earlier in the show, just in case you missed it, Tricia, we were talking to Brad West, the mayor of Port Coquitlam about why that city doesn't seem to have any issues with regard to lifeguard shortages at any of their pools or, or beach closures. Uh, l- listen to this.
1: We're not immune to those staffing challenges. We've had the same issues as everyone else, but we've anticipated it. We were proactive. We saw it coming. We didn't wait until we had a big problem to say, oh, no, now what are we going to do? We, we don't have anyone who can you know, deliver this core service. We made adjustments early on. We had a very focused uh, recruiting drive, for instance, on lifeguards because we were talking about this in council back in the spring, saying, hey, summer's coming. We're going to have all of our outdoor pools open. we got our new community centre. We want to extend the hours. People want to get out there. They've been held up inside. They want to get out. They want to use the pool, stay cool. So how are we going to do this? And we worked with our staff for... You know, again, a very focused and uh, 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 recruitment drive to get lifeguards. We increased the flexibility of our scheduling. They tend to be young people. Some of them want uh, a lot of shifts, so we're able to offer uh, those shifts to people around their schedule. Some want to work only once in a while, and we kind of worked with them. So that flexibility has also really helped.
0: Mayor of Port Coquitlam, Brad West, on earlier today here on the Jill Bennett Show. Tricia, it feels like an excuse when the park board's like, we just can't find lifeguards. We just can't. Is it an excuse?
9: I believe that it is a lack of focus, not on staff, from staff, but I believe it's a lack of focus from what the board was saying to look at. Because I can only, if we've spent $3 million on the Stanley Park bike lane can you imagine if we had been taking that time and energy and put that into and i listened to the interview with brad west and 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 if we put that focus there so um i it's been very disturbing that our focus is not being on core services the big thing we're talking about at the npa core service core service common sense common sense having lifeguards is just common sense and um you know if 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 now we're scrambling, I hope we can do some more to get people out to those pools, out to the beaches. But uh, I still, for me, it comes back down to the board, you know, made it known what their direction was going to be. And um, unfortunately, the staff had to follow along with that.
0: I feel for staff. I feel for the people who work for the park board that are being utilized in this way. And, and I feel for you, who has been this p- sort of independent voice against this Green Cope alliance that is really just... We've seen plowing through politics here in Vancouver, particularly in City Hall, before. Uh, decisions made that have nothing to do with public consultation, which is incredibly frustrating. And, Tricia, you're always making yourself available to us and we appreciate you. You take the heat as they say. You're ready to cook in this kitchen on behalf of those you're trying to represent as and I'm going to reiterate that your day job is actually helping seniors and particularly seniors approaching end of life, people with disabilities, profound disabilities and uh, it should be noted your hard work and diligence here and the fact that you're running for re-election I admire you. Thank you for doing this.
9: Thank you, Jody.